the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts with today's leading scientific and esoteric experts, supporting the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. In this hour, we'll be exploring Neither Awake Nor Sleeping, the creative power of liminal dreaming. Whether we remember them or not, everyone has dreams. Our health and longevity depend on it. Many of us give dreams and dreaming little thought beyond shrugging off vaguely remembered snippets as just a dream. Yet there's much more to dreams than we may think. Some sources say there are over ten kinds of dreams. Locked in our dreams is much of our inspiration and creativity, as well as precognition. During the deep shifts and transformation we're now facing, we could all use inspiring concepts to solve the many problems we're confronted with or a glimpse of the future to chart our course in uncertain times. What types of dreams are there? How can we tap into the hidden potential of our dreams? What is liminal dreaming, and how can it aid our evolution? With us this hour to explore the land of dreams is Jennifer Dumpert. Jennifer is the author of Liminal Dreaming, Exploring Consciousness at the Edges of Sleep, and a San Francisco-based writer and lecturer. She's the founder of an international organization that explores the phenomenological experience of dreams as a means of experimenting with mind. Her website, urbandreamscape.com. Jennifer, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. It's my pleasure to be here. Jennifer, you're going to have to, you know, discretion being the greater part of valor here, you're going to have to pronounce the name of your organization for us. <laughs> Oneronauticum. I realize it's a difficult 
name. <laughs> so, so how did you become interested in dreams? I've always been a very vivid dreamer. And I look a lot of my earliest memories are dreams. I also studied religion and myth and was fascinated by the way that people find meaning in dreams um, and the way that uh, people express their religiosity, their spirituality, their um, their inner world through their dream work. I mean, dreams are on this edge between uh, kind of the, our personal experience because they're so intensely personal and yet this deeply common experience, everybody who has ever lived dreams. So they're, they're just a fascinating way of thinking about mind, of experiencing mind and of looking at how people um, uh, consider mind, spirituality, religiosity, et cetera. So what is your educational background in dreams and dreaming? Well, my, I mean, my educational background, I mean, I did my, um, my undergraduate and uh, my master's and my doctoral work on my BD um, in religious studies. And so it was, it was much more general and myth mostly is what I was studying. And, you know, as part of that, I really became fascinated in dreams and in, when I was living in New York doing my master's, I got involved with the, um, the Jungian Institute, had the archetype, the uh, uh, Institute for Research in Archetypal Symbolism, and I got involved in that. Um, and just sort of as part of that, dreams were, dreams were part of the story. And so it was both an objective and a subjective interest, both studying and also experiencing, because for me, dreams have always been incredibly vivid and wait, you know, I mean, if you were in your introduction there, you were saying that people often shrug them off. And that's so fascinating to me because a huge amount of the experience that we're having is dream life. And yet we often discount it. And, you know, to discount such a huge swath of experience seems so strange to me. It does. I mean, we spend so much of our time sleeping and dreaming and yet we just ignore it. And, you know, that's always amazed me. Now, what different types of dreams are there? So um, there are, and so some scientists will disagree, but there are five stages of sleep. So there's uh, the, the, the hypnagogia is the, the, the beginning and the ends are hypnagogia and hypnopompia. And those are the two dream states that make up liminal dreaming. And in both of those dream states, you're simultaneously awake and asleep. And then there's, um, after hypnagogia, as you're falling asleep, there's theta, which is stage two, and then there's delta, which is deep sleep, and there's REM, which is what most people think of when they think of dreams, and then there's hypnopompia. But in these five stages of sleep, we actually dream in all of them, not too much in theta. In theta, we have something called dream mentation, which is more kind of like a thought. But otherwise, we dream in the other five stages of sleep, and there are different kinds of dreams that we have in each. Well, I'm going to ask you something that you may or may not be familiar with, but um, across the ages, you know, for 60,000 years, shamanism has been on the planet, and it uses, and it's on, in every nationality, and it uses a form of interactive dream. Where does that fit in there? Do you know? Well, I do actually write about shamanism in my book as a bit as liminal dream phenomenon because, and, you know, the traditional role of the shaman is to go into other realms, to cross you know, the barriers that most of us can't cross, go into other realms and bring back wisdom or teachings for everybody. You know, and shamans traditionally lived on, you know, sort of on the, on the edges of settlements, et cetera. And so the, the idea that you're going into a, a liminal zone to bring back wisdom, which is something that uh, is traditionally, uh, like in traditional indigenous cultures, that's something people often were doing in liminal dream states. Like the idea that you can be both awake and asleep, um, for example, which is what is happening in liminal dream states, is uh, is definitely a, a, a realm for, for uh, shamanic wisdom. So is a liminal dream state kind of like a, a trance? Uh, it sounds like it can, is, how does it relate to interactive dreaming? So 
I think so. So, there, I mean, liminal dreaming are lots. There are they are a lot of things. So, liminal dream states, which are the ones that happen between awake and asleep, um, when you have kind of these swirling non-narrative dreams, there doesn't tend to necessarily be sort of self and other. And in liminal dream realms, you can, I mean, you can talk to somebody who is um, who is awake. Or even in liminal dream states, as you're talking with other people, you can talk to other people from these states. Um, and a lot of things when people are talking about the the sort of more mystical experiences that happen in dreams are happening in these spaces. So I think trance, yes, often is, um, you know, there is kind of a hypnagogic phenomenon or uh, out-of-body experiences. So Bob Monroe, who of course uh, Robert Monroe Institute, he famously coined the phrase out-of-body experience. He believed that you had to get to hypnagogia in order to have an, a, a certain percentage of people who come to my workshops come for that reason. In order to achieve an out-of-body experience, you had to go into a hypnagogic state first. I mean, there's the, the realm of uh, traditions that are saying to go into trance, to uh, get the out-of-body experience, to um, travel to other realms, whatever, uh, these things are often accessed via hypnagogic dream space. I mean, partly I think because by definition, it's a neither here nor there. It's, you know, liminal, the word liminal comes from the Latin word limit, Latin word limin, which is where we get words like limin, and it means in between space, like a threshold or doorway. It's a space that's both here and there, neither here or there. And and liminal zones are a very uh, an essential part of what we're talking about when we're talking about things like trance or shamanic experience, you know, or out-of-body experience. Yeah, it makes you wonder what Ed, Edgar Casey was doing then, doesn't it? Yeah, what, you know, I mean, and, and all, all sorts of manner, what makes you wonder what people were doing. Um, or makes you wonder... Um, you know what? You know the, what? You know the the, the uh, contacting the Enochian Enochian angels was John D. in kind of a um, a liminal dream space. I mean, I I've I've you I use a form of automatic writing as part of my liminal dream practices, which is something I kind of caged from you know John D.'s you know, communications with the Enochian angels. It's it's amazing, and it, uh, we're about out of time for this segment, but one thing I'd like to address is, okay, we can access information in liminal dreaming. Can we affect a change on reality from the same space? Oh, for sure. I mean, there's, I mean, and, and in part because you're going into these zones where you have access to the visionary. What do you mean by access to the visionary? So the visionary experience, I think, comes to a certain uh, to, in a certain part from our own unconscious. And yet we, when we delve into the unconscious in REM dreams, for example, or in, in trance experiences, sometimes it's difficult to remember what happened. And in liminal dream space, you go into the, un the visionary space of the unconscious, and yet your conscious mind remains online. And so you can, you can actually observe the experience, remember the experience. You can bring it back into the daytime world. How close is that to daydreaming? Uh, it's actually fairly different. Daydreaming, when you're daydreaming, um, you're really staying in the daytime rational mind, you know, and you're drifting. But um, in liminal dream space, in hypnagogia and hypnopotamia, you're, you're actually partly asleep and dreaming. I mean, you're, and you're partly, like, you're, you're seeing into the realms of the unconscious. And yet you're seeing it with, with daytime mind. We're going to have to pick up on this on the other side of a commercial break. Jennifer and I will return shortly, so don't go away and don't fall asleep. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? 
Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. Our guest this hour is Jennifer Dumpert. Her website, urbandreamscape.com. Jennifer, as we were speaking, it, it occurs to me that we're always kind of sliding in and out of various stages of, uh, of dreaming, from daydreaming where we're perfectly conscious into the subliminal stage. Is there anything in between the two? You know, I, I don't think so. I think that there's a, it's pretty easy to have a slide from daydreaming into liminal dreaming. I mean, for me, liminal dreaming is really a practice and I, I will often just lie down and slide into a liminal dreaming state. But I think you're, you're right that we're sliding in and out of states of consciousness all of the time. And part of what I've really enjoyed about this as a practice is becoming aware of that. You know, I mean, uh, I think in daydreaming, we're also partly in, um, objectively in a brainwave state of Theta, which is where really deep meditators go as well. And in a sleep cycle, you would go from a hypnagogia into theta. I mean, our minds are going, are careening around into different states or very, very awake and engaged versus relaxed, you know, and are also different brainwave states. You know, and states of consciousness are not, don't necessarily only map onto brainwave states, but it's interesting. I mean, you can objectively measure brainwave states and see how much people are actually sliding around among different states all day long, for sure. So is, is that by EEGs? Yeah, that's by EEG. So brains are chemical and electricity, and they measure different brainwave states with EEG, how many waves per second. So very, very, very deep dreams, for example, delta is 0.5 to 3, whereas the most excited state we get into is gamma, which is sort of 40 waves per second or more. And this is another interesting thing about liminal dream states because most brainwave states are marked by a single sine wave, right? So I was just saying point, point 0.5 to 3, 40 or higher. Um, the one of the brainwave states, the one in which we spend most of our sleep and where meditators go, I just mentioned theta, has two sine wave states. But liminal dream states, hypnagogia and hypnopomia have nine. So most other... Uh, brainwave states measured by scientists are a single sine wave. And yet in these two brainwave states, which are by far the short, without training, you can train yourself to locate and um, linger in liminal dream. And then you can stay there for hours. But um, without sort of training, without paying attention to it, most of us are only going to spend like eight or 10 minutes in these states. And yet they are by far the strangest brainwave state. So explain to me a little bit. I'm novice here. <laughs> what do you mean by nine sine waves instead of just one? So in um, so for example, uh, right now you and I are uh, having a conversation. 
we're probably pretty actively engaged in this. So we're probably in a state of beta, right? So we've got um, something, you know, something like, you know, maybe 14 to to 40 waves per second in, in the electricity measured in our brains, right? So this it's a single sine wave that the EEG is measuring. And everyone knows, like you think about EEG, you can imagine it gets, it's this little wave that's being recorded by a by a, like an arm on paper an electronic arm on paper we can all visualize if you're looking at a chart of brain waves you know what a kind of a brain wave looks like right um mm -hmm. so it's so if there's a single there's a single brain wave that we have that sort of um marks what beta is except but in in if we were in hypnagogia or hypnopomnia there would be nine different brain waves happening simultaneously not just one it's so, so like it's, nine it's, different it's little very, arms very, yeah, yes, exactly. Like nine different, nine different. Um, if you if you go on, if you went online and you because it, does, it isn't done with the little arms anymore. That's kind of a that's right. a, that's kind of a. <laughs> but if you go online and you look at brainwave charts, you'll see that um, you know you'll see oh look there's beta there's that one the one sine wave that shows the beta there's alpha there's the one sine wave that shows the alpha there's we're in hypnagogia and there's there's nine of them. Um, it's very very chaotic brainwave state and that so when your arm jerks or your leg jerks that's when you know that's called a myoclonic jerk or a hypnic jerk and when that happens you know you're in hypnagogia and kind of your body is doing the same thing that your mind does it's sort of this this chaotic uh jerking around so like when you see dogs running after the rabbit in their sleep that's what they're doing but yeah potentially although they also might be in REM um you know so uh so little, weirdly, so little is understood about dreams. It's so, um, so poorly studied, you know, and people have, people do study to a certain degree, um, like lucid dreaming has had some studies, REM dreams have had a little bit of study, but really not a lot. People study sleep, but not really dreams. And when you think about it, it was only the 1950s that Western science ever put two and two together of, oh yeah, when people's eyes are moving and they're asleep, they're dreaming. Um, mm. So, you know, so REM, and that was, that was, you know, Azarinsky kind of discovering that REM sleep was a sleep in which we're dreaming. But there really very little is known about it. Well, you know, we, talk, we spoke of Edgar Cayce earlier. What do Thomas Edison and Salvador Dali have in common in regards to dreams? So... It, again, partly because you're, I think you're accessing the visionary space of the unconscious while the rational mind remains online. A lot of, I mean, a lot of inventions and artists' work, what have you, have been conceived in hypnagogia. Um, uh, in, in, uh, in addition to Dalinus, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, Kekule conceived of the benzene ring in a hypnagogic state. The periodic table of elements was conceived in a hypnagogic state. Um, Louis Agassi figured out how to chip away stone to find fossils in a hypnagogic state. Um, independently of each other, Salvador Dali and Thomas Edison invented the same hypnagogic liminal dream exercise for uh, tapping the state for creativity and problem solving. And it's how Salvador Dali came up with a lot of his ideas for art and how Thomas Edison came up with a lot of his inventions. Um, which is amazing because Thomas Edison invented an enormous amount of what we use in our daily lives. And what they well, would do... How, how do we know that they were in a hypnagogic state? Because of this exercise that they developed, which was um, pointedly to use hypnagogia. And what they would do is they would um, uh, each put metal plates on the ground and when feeling sleepy, would sit back in a, in a very comfortable chair and Thomas Edison held a ball in each hand, and Salvador Dali um, held a big brass Spanish key in one hand. And they would sit back and then close their eyes and drift into a hypnagogic state. So when you close your eyes and you drift off into that initial dream state, that's hypnagogia. And they would drift in hypnagogia. And then as soon as I started to fall asleep, coming out the other side of the hypnagogic state, they would naturally drop whatever they were holding it would hit the metal plates on the ground. Edison kept um, a notepad and pen and paper, and Dully kept a sketch pad. And Edison would just kept immediately start to write out ideas, and Dully would start to sketch. 
So basically, whatever ideas came to them in the hypnagogic space were documents, and that was um, how they mined their own um, their own consciousness and experience to come up with inventions and art. And as I say, scientists and thinkers um, of various sorts have been using this practice forever, and anybody can do it. Well, we've got all sorts of rabbit holes we can go down here. Yeah. Um, so so I'll go to bed at night um, because I write and, and bring stuff through that way. Um, I'll go to bed at night with a class on my mind that I'm going to be teaching uh, the, the following weekend. And I always have to take pencil and paper to bed with me <laughs> because it, I wake up and have the inspiration of what, how the class is going to go, what I'm going to teach, what I'm going to bring forward, and jot it down. And I wake up in the morning. Don't even remember having done it. I remember I wrote something, but I don't remember what it was. But when I put it together, it's extremely logical and well put together. And it's like, there's the lesson plan, and I did it in my sleep. Are we talking the same state there? I think often, yes. And I do exactly the same thing that you do, except I use a voice-activated recorder because you can buy a phone app, and you can keep it next to you. And uh, it, it only records when you start making noise. And so I keep it next to me when I'm falling asleep, especially when I'm falling asleep or for when I'm waking up in the morning, because sometimes even reaching for a pen and paper can be enough to, to chase the ideas away. And as soon as I kind of come to, I just start talking. And, and, and I have the same experience that you have. In fact, I come up with a lot of the um, talks that I give. I also am writing. Um, I, I come up with a lot of my writing and talks that I'm giving in the States through the voice activated recorder. So yeah, for sure. Fascinating. Fascinating. And we just let this go by and never tap into it unless we train ourselves, right? Exactly. And as you said at the beginning of the hour, everybody is a natural liminal dreamer. Everybody has this experience. Um, and, and often when I'm giving workshops or classes and I start by explaining what liminal dreaming is, that, that, that half dream swirling free associative, uh, experience that you have as you're falling asleep or that very drifty back and forth between thought and dream experience as you're waking up or as you're trying, as often for people it's when you're fighting to stay awake that you go into the hypnagogic state and everyone nods. Yeah, of course I have that experience. I never thought of it as a thing. It never occurred to me to stop there and look around and pay attention to what's happening and yet it's been tapped by people for as you as you said, you know, thousands of years back through you know shamanic traditions, people have been tapping and making use of this space. Well, we have so many more exciting places we can go. We're going to have to take a quick break, but on the other side, we'll continue to explore the dreamscape. It is time for a short pause. Jennifer and I will return return to our discussion on the other side of this break. You stay right there. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hyde can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. 
to get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit Number One Fear. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Dot com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, missionevolution.org, bringing leading-edge information supporting the path to enlightenment. We're speaking with Jennifer Dumpert. Her website, urbandreamscape.com. Jennifer, we started talking about something and then kind of moved on because we got distracted a little bit. But I ask you if um, not only can we get information from the interact, I mean, the the dreamscape we're talking about, but can we uh, affect change in the world from that place? And you said we could, and then we had to take a break. So would you mind going into that a little? Sure. There's so much that's going on in this state. And I think if we learn to go into it and listen to our own minds and delve into our own unconscious, we're also learning a different way of approaching the world. Um, and this this is a little tricky to kind of describe. But I have um, I have an idea in the book that I call liminal mind. And really, by liminal mind, what I mean is learning to sort of locate yourself in the the neither here nor there and both here and there. I mean, we're all always having the experience, for example, where we're we're creating the world through which we walk. You know, a city a city that I'm in has my own associations, has my own memories sort of superimposed onto it. So I'm, I'm, I am to a certain degree moving through a world that I am co-creating. And it's, an, it's a thing that we don't really think about. And I think when you learn to go into these liminal dream spaces, you really learn to relate to the world in a different kind of way. And I also think by, by bringing these kinds of practices to the fore, by teaching people to go into these liminal spaces, to go into dream spaces. You know, so much of the world is in the grip of the materialistic, rational, forward mind, waking, goal-oriented mode that is part of the problems that I think we have in the world. And I think when we teach people a little bit more to um, emphasize the unconscious realms, the other realms, the in-between realms, then um, maybe we would change that worldview such that we would, um, you know, we would start to bring forward things that are a little bit more important in the daily world. You know, um, there's been lots of examples, and you gave one with uh, uh, Thomas and and Salvador, Um, but there's been lots of examples of people on different parts of the planet coming up with very similar things that are very uh, uh, brand new and leading edge at the same time. Do you think that through this form of dreaming, they're actually accessing a more universal uh, information? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, uh, and a lot, you know, so I have my uh, my dream group, the Onir Nauticum, which uh, is so difficult to pronounce. When I originally came up with that group, it was just a thing for my friends and I, and then I was, I, you know, this was like 11 years ago, and I was tracking it online, and just in the ways we way of the of the World Wide Web, somebody discovered the site, and it became a very popular thing. So that's why it has that 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 ridiculous name. But um, people around the world are participating in my my World Wide 
dream experiments for a lot of different reasons. Um, one of them is to go into dream realms and try to have common experience, kind of, you know, go into this this common realm. And of course, you know, Jung thought, uh, and for Jung, like active imagination practice is definitely a liminal dream practice. And he thought that in the unconscious and in these, especially in these liminal dream realms where we can, with the waking mind, see what's happening in the unconscious, that was partly cultural. It's not, you know, so yes, it's what's happening in your dream space is your own personal experience, but it's also the experience of your tribe and then farther out your culture and then, you know, farther out humanity. I think in realms where we're, um, where we're kind of letting go of our materialistic mindset to a certain degree, then we do get to a place that's, that's connected, you know, and there can be, you can have experiences talking to people or people talk, talking to each other in liminal dream spaces and, and going to amazing places. So, yeah. And do the, do the people have recall, like the conversation actually went on, and, and how are you experimenting with this? Um, you know, often, uh, sometimes yeah, and sometimes no. So I have definitely experimented with um, both, so myself, I've taught myself how to talk actually while I'm in a liminal dream space. So I can go into hypnagogia um, or be in hypnopompnia and still stay asleep and mumble into a voice-activated recorder. Or I can even, if I'm only a little bit in hypnagogia, um, touch type on my computer um, and sort of be talking from the other side of a hypnagogic experience. You, but you can actually also talk to people in hypnagogia and ask them questions and they'll respond. They don't often necessarily remember that they had this experience, um, but they sometimes will remember a little bit. I had an amazing experience uh, a couple years ago, where my my aunt, to whom I was extremely close, was was dying, and I was sitting by her deathbed, and after she had passed the realm of you know waking daytime consciousness, where we could have conversations, she was still able to talk, and I realized that she was in a hypnagogic state, and because I have practiced talking to people in hypnagogia, I was able to talk to her, and she would answer me. And then um, from there, she passed beyond the place where she could speak, and that was the last that she ever said. And I later found out that she died in a hospice where the the, the director of the hospice, a guy named Dr. Christopher Kerr, um, is actually talking about the fact that people who are dying are in liminal dream states, that the final stage between life and death uh, for many people is a liminal dream state. Um, and then Tibetan Buddhists... Yeah, yeah that, that's interesting because, again, in Tibetan Buddhism and in, sh in shamanism, yeah. um, when we help the dead to cross, or particularly when they're you know, dying and we help the, the dying to go uh, across the other side, it is walking them through the dream states. That's exactly right. The psychopomp, mm -hmm. the role of the psychopomp is the ability to navigate a liminal dream space. And that was one of the really amazing realizations to me after I started doing this work. And it's been around for how long? <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> how, how helpful will that be in hospice and every place else if people were trained in being able to manage this? I know one of the one when I, you know, right now I'm doing um, having written the book and I'm doing book tour and doing a lot of those things. And I've been thinking about once I'm done with book tour and, you know, what are some of the projects I want to undertake? And one of them is trying to figure out how to teach people um, about using these spaces in terms of helping to walk, to walk the dying uh, in, through this final journey that we all take. Um, well, that we, in this life, <laughs> the, through this final journey that we all take um, crossing, crossing the realms and some sort of like guides to help people understand what it is, uh, ways to talk to people who are in this space and ways to, un you know, one of the great, I feel, like what reasons to start to learn to navigate one's own liminal dream space, one's own hypnagogy and hypopnea, is so that when we will all go through the dying process ourselves and the, the idea that you would have some practice navigating these realms for when you go through it yourself is, is certainly very appealing to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, are there 
do we dream differently at different ages? I mean, we see little infants as they're here and they spend a lot of time in the dream space. And then the elders start to spend a lot of time in the dream space. Would you speak to what it's like, um, how, how dreaming changes with the different ages? Yeah, and that's really a fascinating question. So in the womb, fetuses in the womb are in REM the vast majority of the time. So they're dreaming what of what one wonders. Um, Newborns, as anybody who has children know, spend an enormous amount of time in REM and potentially a lot of time in limbo dream space. Of course, you know, we don't, it, it's impossible to know what the subjective experience is of a newborn. But uh, one of the leading experts in the dreams of children, a guy named David Folks, uh, feels uh, when as soon as he has been able to you know, figure out what young children, very young children are dreaming of, the dreams that they describe seem a lot more like hypnagogic dreams, you know, as opposed to REM dreams. The quality of REM dreams is such that we're, you know, it's still like daytime experience and that you're still you moving through a world having experiences. It's just that they're very weird experiences because you're in REM. REM. Whereas in, in liminal dream spaces, often you aren't necessarily there. It's just the unfolding moment of the dream. It's not like you're in a world having experiences. It's it's this kaleidoscopic, freeform unfurling of a dream. So it may be that very small children um, and very old people are having much more of that experience. Um, we all have much longer circadian rhythms when we're younger. We all sleep more when we're younger and sleep less the older that we get. And the less you sleep, the less REM dream you have, that's just a fact. So we all have REM dreams. Um, uh, we all have fewer REM dreams the older we get. Uh, some of us have naturally more or less, depending on our circadian rhythm. Um, but dreaming definitely, our dreaming, our REM dreaming changes the older we get and sort of the natural amount that we're in hypnagogic. So we have less REM and more liminal dream, kind of the older we get and for very young people as well. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, we're going to have to pick up again on the other side of a commercial break. Jennifer and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. 
get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Christopher Fulton is a survivor of the National Security State. All he wanted to do was preserve history when he acquired a Cartier watch from the estate of President Kennedy's personal secretary. But that simple act set off a terrible chain reaction. He was pursued by the U.S. Justice Department and the FBI, thrust into the middle of the U.S. government's Assassination Records Review Board, even monitored and pursued by the Russian government. All because that Cartier watch was the missing link of evidence, a timepiece worn by JFK that fateful day in Dallas, a link resulting in Christopher being incarcerated and attacked for nine years because he opened a hidden chapter in history. The intriguing journey outlined fully in Christopher Fulton's memoir, The Inheritance, is available now through trinday.com or amazon.com. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination by Christopher and Michelle Fulton is a must-read, an incredible tale of how easily our own government can overrule justice. The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. To suggest a topic or guest, email us at info at missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Jennifer Dumpert. Her website, urbandreamscape.com. We were talking, Jennifer, about how um, our sleep style and our dream style changes from one age to the other, from infancy to when we're getting ready to cross. Um, and... I was wondering if you know, does make, how does make-believe fit in there? You know, children spend so much time trying out their lives in make-believe space. Is that a dream state of sorts? It's, you know, the, the consciousness of children is really so fascinating. And I think that children are definitely a lot closer to something that we were talking about earlier, the ability to slide among different states of consciousness, what what they're accessing. I don't I mean so many of us try to regain the ability to access these kinds of things like we did when we were children. Um, I'm I'm not sure uh, what states necessarily they're in, but I think that um, children, the fact that children spin in circles, you know, and roll down hills and truly go into other worlds with make believe underscores something about the human experience, which is that we're we're really hardwired to experiment with consciousness. We really, uh, humans play with minds, and I think animals do as well. And I think that, um, uh, you know, and, and if you look at so much of what we're doing, it is just that, it's experimenting and exploring what's happening within our own consciousness and learning to dabble in liminal dream space or in any kind of dream space is an amazing exploration into what actually what's happening in, in mind. It's a wonderful way to play with one's own consciousness. Do you think that our materialistic world and all the conditioning in it actually conditions us out of the things that we came able to do as children, like sliding in and out of liminal dreaming and, and accessing more creativity? Absolutely. And if you look at how people talk, so for example, um, if people are talking about imagination, you know, oh, you just imagined that. You know, or dream. Oh, that was only a dream. I mean, we really devalue things like imagination and dreams. And yet, you know, the Sufis thought that imagination was a faculty of perception. And because it because the only way you could experience the divine was through imagination, therefore it was the most important faculty of perception. And that's a faculty of perception that we s stop taking seriously as we get older or with our culture. You know, it, it makes the, the statement, <laughs> be as little children, make a lot more sense, doesn't it? Absolutely. Imagine if we could all see through those kinds of eyes and, and approach the world with play like that. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to talk a little bit about PTSD and dreaming. What changes when we're, when we're under stress and we have uh, serious anxiety? Um, well, so people's dreaming definitely does change when they're under stress and anxiety. People tend to, uh, uh, and during the night, people who have PTSD and stress tend to, their dreams stay more the forward part of the brain, which is kind of where the the, the planning goal-oriented is. So like those kinds of dreams where you have to, you know, you're, you're trying to get to your flight, you know, or you forgot to, 
you realize you never finished high school and you have to go back and take another class or whatever it is. You know, people who have stress have more of those kinds of dreams. But there are also dreams um, and liminal dreams, uh, partly through yoga nidra practices and uh, lucid dreams are actually being used to treat people who have PTSD or who um, also treatments for pain or, you know, fear and anxiety. Part of what happens with PTSD is um, people have nightmares and learning to um, teaching people to be teaching people conscious dreaming so they don't have those kinds of experiences or teaching them to go into the unconscious as one does in a liminal, liminal dream space with the conscious mind online in a safe supported environment allows people to go into where the fear and the pain is and work through things. So yoga nidra, for example, is a, is a, a very old yogic practice that brings people into liminal dream spaces. And um, that the I rest uh, school of yoga nidra is helping soldiers with PTSD in, or the yoga nidra network is helping women in childbirth using these states. You you spoke of how when you're in liminal dreaming, you're really not a participant as far as, you know, having, you know, we have dreams and we're in the dream and we're seeing ourselves do this or do that. But liminal dreaming is different. Does that help transcend our lockdown patterns and ego so that we can rearrange uh, the PTSD? Absolutely. So that's that's wonderfully said. And both so that you can rearrange the PTSD. And also that's one of the reasons that it's so good for innovative thought or creativity, you know, because it because you circumvent a lot of the, the lockdown daytime consciousness. You're not you're not identified with yourself anymore and you can access other. Exactly. And a lot of people use it as I do as a form of, of meditation. So there's, um, you know, if you're looking at like mindfulness meditation, a lot of it is being aware of the unfolding moment without letting your ego get in the way. And when you're in these spaces, your ego loosens the kind of iron grip that it often has on your experience and it gives you access to a whole other mode of being in your consciousness. Amazing. So what's consciousness hacking? Speaking of consciousness. Well, the, the consciousness hacking movement is uh, it started in, in the Bay Area, sort of around a lot of the technology, but has really spread now around the world. And it's using it, it, it's using modern methods to experiment with uh, with the mind, but in with more of like a spiritual meditative approach. So for example, using modern technology, there's a lot of things like the, like the Muse or at MIT labs, they're developing technology actually to work with hypnagogia um, or, um, you know, binaural beats. There's a lot of technology out there that is uh, used for meditation, used for dream states and <clears throat> using what we have learned in the modern world, um, you know, through technology and knowledge to go in and explore with mind. Because we often think of things like, you know, technology and uh, science as being at, um, at odds with meditation and spirituality and these practices of consciousness. And, and the idea is no, not at all. In fact, that um, these kinds of uh, forms of information and knowledge only help us in these pursuits. So like is biofeedback part of that? I know that was early on. Yeah, biofeedback is part of that. So um, for example, you can use uh, various forms of biofeedback to be aware of what state your mind is. So um, a muse, uh, the muse is that headset and it is measuring brain waves and like letting you know when you're getting closer to that kind of like th meditative theta state and it gives you um, the feedback of sound. I mean, it, it can do a lot of different things, but it can give you the feedback of sound. So um, as the, you know, as you're getting closer to these meditative sounds, you're, you're having more like flowing water sound, for example, you know, so it's using, it's using feedback to let you know that you're in these various states, brainwave states, where there's different forms of consciousness. Yeah. So how are dreams involved in shaping the mind? 
Well, so I said earlier that um, uh, fetuses in the womb are mostly in REM and, and infants are largely in REM. Nobody really knows why we dream, but one of the more popular theories at the moment is scientists think that dreams, um, REM dreams and probably also liminal dreams, contribute to um, moving short-term memory into long-term memory. So, you know, moving our daytime experiences or what happens or what we're thinking about, whatever it is, into our long-term memory. You know, and when you think about it that way, you know, and, and in the womb, you know, that's probably probably what's happening. When you think about it that way, you're actually laying down neural pathways. It's another mm -hmm. reason to have conscious dreaming because you're actually, you know, participating in how your brain is forming. Nice. I like that one. <laughs> give, give, give a little power back instead of being conditioned all the time. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. You know, how can working with our dreams aid spiritual evolution? I think that I, I mean, some of the reasons that I have um, mentioned earlier, which is I think it gets past the kind of like Apollonian rational mind culture that so de-emphasizes things like imagination or consciousness exploration. I also think that we learn an enormous amount about our our minds and the kinds of experiences that you know are within our grasp. I mentioned earlier the visionary. I mean, we all have access to visionary experience. It's not just the realm of you know artists or mediums or whatever. I mean, the, the visionary world is there for all of us. And as long as we can sort of give ourselves permission and use liminal dreaming is only one method. There are many methods to, you know, to go into these kinds of experiences and learn that we all have this kind of access. And if people understood the realm, the, their their own capacity for extraordinary, you know, beyond a daytime experience, boy, the world would sure be a different place. It sure would be a different place. Well, you know, I can't thank you enough for this powerful work that you're doing and bringing our creativity back and awareness to it. But as always, time has flown and now we're out of it. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having mm -hmm. me. You bet. Our guest this hour has been Jennifer Dumpert, the author of Liminal Dreaming, Exploring Consciousness at the Edges of Sleep. Her website, urbandreamscape.com. For our amazing past episode collection, visit our website, missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? 
The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. <laughs> 